My name is Leonidas, and this is Informed Descent. What is up, guys? Welcome to a new year in episode 35 of Informed Descent, the podcast where we push back against the culture of groupthink and challenge the narrative. Man, it's been a long time. I think the last episode I did was all the way back in March of last year. That whole plan to do more regular episodes clearly did not work out at all. (laughs) But good news, I did manage to write a book last year, which consumed much of my time, and it actually will be released February 7th of this year, so in a little less than two weeks. And the book is called Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. And it's available now for pre-order from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, if you want to do audiobooks, and pretty much anywhere you buy books, you can get it. But the book really hones in on what exactly critical race theory is, how the underlying ideology is permeating our society and disguising itself behind sanitized names like diversity, equity, and inclusion, Black Lives Matter, anti-racism, social-emotional learning, etc. And it basically breaks apart the primary fallacies that drive the ideology. And then just issues a remedy, which is an embrace of gratitude and perspective and also a sense of colorblindness, which we'll talk about some in this episode. But anyway, I hope you're doing well, and I appreciate you tuning in and supporting me in the show. So thank you for that. All right, let's get into it. Narrative number one, critical race theory is not in public schools. It's incredible to me that people are still clinging to this blatant lie. Clearly, critical race theory and its toxic presuppositions are very much present in the public school system. More present in some places than others, but it's present. But the game that is being played is one of technicality, right? These people will perform a sleight of hand and announce that critical race theory is not being quote-unquote taught. To that end, they're correct. It's not being taught. Teachers and administrators are not passing out CRT textbooks and having children read Richard Delgado and Kimberly Crenshaw That stuff is happening at universities and training seminars, but it's not happening in public schools, at least not not on a widespread scale, clearly. But by the time it reaches public schools, in the impressionable minds of young children, it's no longer an academic exercise. It's become about application, indoctrination. It's much less critical race theory as it is critical race praxis, the application of the theory. And if you read Critical Race Theory, an introduction by Richard Delgado, one of the things that Delgado says explicitly is that CRT has both an academic component and an activist component. He also acknowledges that while Critical Race Theory began in law schools, it has since expanded into just about every other academic discipline under the sun, including, drumroll, education. Now, This should be obvious to anyone who's paying even a modicum of attention. They're taking the teachings and psychosis of critical race theory, and they're applying it to education. That's what they're doing. It's being infused into the the curriculums and teaching strategies. 
Rochelle Gutierrez, a professor of education at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, has this in her biography on the university's website. Dr. Gutierrez's scholarship focuses on issues of identity and power in mathematics education, paying particular attention to how race, class, and language affect teaching and learning. Her work challenges deficit views of students who are Latinx. I don't know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> Latinx with an X. Black and indigenous. And suggests that mathematics teachers need to be prepared with much more than just current content knowledge, pedagogical knowledge, or knowledge of diverse students. If they're going to be successful, they need political knowledge. Political knowledge. This is a professor of education, a well-known professor of education. She is training future math teachers who will eventually go on, presumably, to work in K-12 education. And we're supposed to believe that these insane ideas, the idea that somehow teaching math is not enough, that you must, as a teacher, be political and race conscious. We're expected to believe that these people are not going to take this stuff with them into the classroom? And and are we also supposed to believe that people like Gutierrez do not intend for these ideas to end up in K through 12 classrooms? And if so, why is she teaching the class? What's the purpose? She is training activists. She's training activists to go out into school systems and indoctrinate children. This is clear. That's what she's doing. And how about this guy, Zeus Leonardo? who's a professor and associate dean of education at UC Berkeley. His biography says that he engages critical theories, Marxism, to inform his analysis of the relationship between schooling and social relations, such as race, class, culture, and gender. And he's written books entitled Education and Racism and Frameworks, a multidimensional theory of racism in education. And here he is during a lecture discussing abolishing whiteness. And so that's why I'm coming up with this recent understanding that to abolish whiteness is to abolish white people. That's very uncomfortable, perhaps, but it asks about our definitions of what race is and what racial justice might mean. Okay. So again, Rodiger is asking the same question here about this genuine class unity is not going to happen because within it are these cleavages of racial struggles and gender struggles that prevent class unity from sort of happening and prevents white working class folks from achieving their goal. This is a professor of education and an associate dean. Is it unthinkable then that the education students who go through UC Berkeley and end up in the K through 12 system as teachers will carry these ideas with them into their curriculums. Is that unthinkable? Is it unthinkable to believe that this is the intended goal? And if it isn't the goal, if they don't intend for these ideas to eventually end up in schools, then why teach them at all? Many parents have become aware of what's happening and have begun pushing back against it. But that still doesn't stop the activists. They deny that it's happening while they desperately try to find ways to get this stuff into curriculums and demand that parents be not allowed to intervene. Here in Ohio, there was an undercover video done by an organization called Accuracy in Media, I believe, that 
captured school administrators bragging about sneaking critical race theory ideas into the classroom behind the parents' backs. I mean, just outrageous stuff. Listen to this. You can pass a bill that you can't mm-hmm. teach CRT in a classroom, but if you didn't cover programming mm-hmm. or you didn't cover extracurricular activities or yeah. something like that, that message might still get out. Mm-hmm. Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Oh, gosh, I love that. Oops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There would be a way. We kept getting these emails. Uh, do you have critical race theory in your curriculum, which was what the talking point was from a certain news channel. <laughs> so we got to the point where first we're going to ask you, what do you mean by critical race theory? Do you think we're teaching higher education, grad school stuff to your second grader? And then the second <laughs> thing is, no, we don't have that in our curriculum. You didn't ask about the conversations in the hallway. You didn't ask about, which we don't have those anyway. But the point is, we're going to answer your question Nowhere in our curriculum does critical race theory exist. And it went away. Well, I kind of want to know that y'all are having some conversation around... Like the tenets of it, like diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice. Those conversations are happening. (laughs) Absolutely. But, but, you know, and when people ask us a question, we answer their question. But yes, we absolutely have those conversations going on. Is there a parent saying that privilege is a controversial topic? Probably, but don't yeah. get me wrong, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that will probably get discussed in 17 classrooms before somebody actually brings it in here, and then we'll deal with it. We have some parents that, <laughs> you know, they uh, they don't fully understand, um, so, you know, it's when we trick them, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? But, uh, well, I'm just, so, it, similar situation. So, if we have a certain content that we want to share yeah. with students, um, and they see one word in the language, it's like, oh, no, we can't do that. Well, let's look at it from a different, you know, viewpoint, and then it's changed they're the okay, you know. At the end of the day, we can close the door and mm. teach what's right. And mm-hmm. I would presume and hope, I don't know, that an attitude would be similar here if mm-hmm. stupid laws got passed, I don't know. It's hard to predict, yeah, it's hard to predict that, but we would find parameters for which we could, absolutely. The absolute audacity of these people, man. They think they own your kids. They think that they are the morally righteous purveyors of truth and justice who should be in charge of everything. And you, the parent, are nothing but a bigoted pest. An obstacle to be overcome to achieve utopia. You know, I've been reading Thomas Sowell's Vision of the Anointed again, and man, does he nail it. The, the people in society who believe they are the anointed ones, that they've been gifted with moral and intellectual superiority so that they should get to reign like kings over us common peasants. And they believe their ideology is infallible. To the point where no one is allowed to even challenge it. No one's allowed to question it. It's treated as a foregone conclusion, an accepted truth and fact of reality, and you're not allowed to question it. It describes the progressive ideology and the critical race theory movement to a T. The idea that racism is endemic in our society, that it's woven into the fabric of our institutions And it is the way our society operates at the status quo, that the traditional Western foundations, including concepts such as liberty and neutral principles of constitutional law, are tools of white supremacy, that capitalism and racism are conjoined twins, as Ibram X. Kendi put it. 
and that our institutions in society, since they are imbibed with racism, must be dismantled and rebuilt through cultural revolution. These are ideas that we must accept blindly and we must not question. We must not challenge them. We don't need any evidence. We just accept it. Trust the experts. Yet, even though we must embrace these concepts as unequivocal truth and virtuous and compassionate, we must also pretend that even though these ideas are pushed heavily in universities to students of education, they are somehow non-existent in K-12 through education. Incredible. Even though teachers are being trained in the edicts of CRT, they are inexplicably abandoning their training once they get hired, obviously. You know, a, a good exercise to do is to go to a school website and search for terms like anti-racism or diversity or equity or, or whatever racial buzzword is fashionable. And you will see CRT hiding in plain sight. It's there. And they're, they're very proud of it. They just sanitize it and they hide it behind other names. And of course, the next question is, well, what do we do about it? Well, the best thing to do is to get your kids out of that school. Remove their influence, homeschool or private school, if you can. And we also need to lobby for school choice legislation if your state doesn't already have that, where education dollars follow the students instead of the schools. That way, parents can decide where they want their children to attend school. We homeschool our kids, but the school district where we live spends over $13,000 per student. That's insane. That money should be going to parents in the form of vouchers so that they can use it for their children's education however they deem fit. If education is going to be a social program paid by taxpayers, then parents of the children being educated should be making the decisions, not woke administrators. And beyond that, if you're trapped in public schools, then at the very least, go to school board meetings. Do what you can to expose these people. They want to operate clandestinely and in the dark. They don't want light shined on what they're doing. So shine the light. And when they try to lie and say CRT isn't being taught in public schools, shut them down. Because you know it, I know it, and they know it. It absolutely is. And it needs to stop. Narrative number two. Black people are being attacked by Ron DeSantis, who will not allow an AP African-American studies class. <laughs> That's a long narrative. But regardless, it is utterly bogus. And just the fact that Ben Crump is involved should tell you that it's utterly bogus. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Beyond this ridiculous circus of racial grievance hustling, I, I, I think the deeper narrative to grapple with here is the idea that the government does not have the right or, or should not have the power to decide what gets taught in government schools. Of course, the way I frame that, you can already see the logical problems with such a position. But it needs to be pointed out that nobody even believes that. Not even the people protesting this nonsense. We all know that these people who whine and moan about the government doing things they don't like would be 110% on board with the government mandating things that they do. Just the way that it is. They're frauds. 
If Governor DeSantis came in, decided to mandate critical race theory in all Florida public schools, they wouldn't be wringing their hands about government interfering with the curriculum. They would be celebrating. (laughs) Frauds. All of them. The whole operation is fraudulent. Listen, if if you're not familiar with the story, the the state of Florida refused to allow an advanced placement class that was supposedly centered around African-American studies. However, the class itself would have included things like queer theory, intersectionality, abolishing prisons, pro-reparations, I mean, a bunch of other woke nonsense. Here's Governor DeSantis talking about it. This course on black history, what are one of what's one of the lessons about? Queer theory. Now, who would say that an important part of black history is queer theory? That is somebody pushing an agenda on our kids. And so when you look to see they have stuff about intersectionality, abolishing prisons, that's a political agenda. And so we're on that's the wrong side of the line for Florida standards. We believe in teaching kids uh, facts and how to think, but we don't believe they should have an agenda imposed on them. When you try to use black history to shoehorn in queer theory, uh, you are clearly trying to use that uh, for political purposes. Solid. He's right. None of that stuff has anything to do with African-American studies, which is a dumb course in my opinion anyway, but I digress. So in response to this course being denied, Ben Crump and a bunch of other activists, that is race hustlers, decided to hold a rally inside of the Florida Capitol building, protesting the denial of this class, and they named this rally Stop the Black Attack. Stop the Black Attack. (laughs) So since this woke class got denied by the state, somehow that is an attack on black people? These people, man. Here's Representative... Ben Therese Driscoll, who is a member of the Florida House of Representatives, talking nonsense. Listen. We've been told that this AP African-American history course will be altered and resubmitted, and most likely they'll make enough changes for the governor to approve it. But at what cost? And are we really okay with Ron DeSantis deciding what's acceptable? See, so now they're telling on themselves. It's not the class itself. It's woke nonsense. The class will be approved if they take the foolishness out of it. But Driscoll says, oh, at what cost? Almost seems like it was intentional, doesn't it? They knew the class would get rejected. They probably already had their signs made, had the rally planned. I wouldn't even be surprised. But they don't seem to care about the fact that the class will be approved if they remove the stuff that has nothing to do with the subject. They just want to whine and complain and accuse everybody of racism. And it's effective. That's the worst part. It's effective. People respond to it and these race hustlers get positive reinforcement, incentivized to act this way over and over again. That's a problem. But let's look at Driscoll's question. Are we really okay with Ron DeSantis deciding what's acceptable? Well, for one thing, it's not just Ron DeSantis. It's the state of Florida, right? Ron DeSantis is not ruling unilaterally here. But the question still remains, who gets to decide what gets taught in Florida schools or in any public schools, for that matter? And this is the single greatest problem with government education. It's actually the single greatest problem with government in general. The ever present question of who gets to decide, who gets the power, who gets to turn the key, who gets to write the rules. 
In a constitutional republic, in a representative democracy, we're supposed to elect representatives to the government to make governmental decisions for us so we don't have to. So we don't have to go listen to someone drone on for hours about how a post office needs funding or something. We elect people to go do that for us. Now, if we are going to accept government education as a viable means of educating our children, which I do not, by the way, but if we are going to accept it, then reasonably, we have to also accept that control of that government system will be done by the government. That means that we send representatives into the government to make decisions about what is taught in classrooms. Now, that could be as confined and localized as school boards, or it could be more broad up to the state level and even up to the Department of Education at the federal level. Now, make no mistake, there are plenty of non-elected bureaucrats influencing public education, but the whole point of electing people into office is to put, in a, put them in a position to deal with that directly. So we don't have to. That's supposed to be the point. So the argument is ridiculous. We're not talking about private school. We're not talking about homeschool. We're talking about government schools. So if it's a government school, who else is going to decide what is allowed to be taught at a government school if not the government? You may not like that. I don't like it. That's why I oppose government education. But if you're going to advocate for government education, you can't be surprised when the government controls education. How are you shocked by this? You know, it's, it's always interesting because when DeSantis vowed to purge public schools in Florida of critical race theory, these people were crying that he was being a tyrant and violating the free speech of teachers and all this other nonsense. But how can the government possibly be tyrannical when it restricts itself? The government tells itself that it cannot teach certain things in its classrooms not even mandating that anything is being taught, but restricting itself. And, and the idea that it violates free speech, listen, you work for the government and the government does not have free speech. You have free speech as a citizen, as an individual, but as long as you represent the government, you don't get to just say and do whatever you want to do. The government cannot do that. So yeah, I, at least they see the problems with government-based education and allowing the government to be in charge of what our children are learning. At least they see that. Even if it is narrow and myopic, and they would never apply that outside of something they disagree with. But I would suggest to Ben Crump and Fintrice Driscoll, and anyone else who has a problem with this, to start advocating for freedom and moving away from government-based education. Or at the very least, lobby for school choice and voucher systems, so kids can escape schools that they don't want to go to and attend schools of their choice where things are taught according to their principles and values. That should be the ultimate goal. That should be what everybody wants, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. But alas, progressive activists are not content with simply getting what they want. They must force everyone else to also bow down and worship their gods. Of course, they would never want that to happen in the reverse. If you wanted government schools, well, you got them. So as long as you're in Florida, keep your woke nonsense out of the classroom. Narrative number three, colorblindness is actually oppressive. I have a dream. 
content of their character. I have a dream. Man, listen to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. advocating for oppression. How dare he? That's a microaggression. Are, are, are we misunderstanding? I mean, did he not mean that when he said it? Well, I mean, oh, I mean well, what, what are we missing here? How have we come so far away from this idea? That according to woke progressives, it is a misunderstanding. That's not what he meant. And ideas like equality and post-racial ideas, colorblindness, these, these concepts are harmful to black people. Not, not the dream that Dr. King was talking about, but they're actually harmful. They're oppressive. It's incredible. Treating you like a human being instead of a racialized collective is somehow harmful. And people buy this and they run with it. It's unreal. People have been tricked and bamboozled into throwing everything the civil rights movement hoped to accomplish out of the window and completely take us backward by hyper-emphasizing race and making it the most important aspect of who we are as individuals. The argument is that if we're colorblind and we don't recognize our racial differences, then we can't see racism and we can't dismantle racist systems. (laughs) This logic is tiring, to say the least. First thing that needs to be pointed out is that the concept of colorblindness is not meant to be taken literally. That should be obvious but it's not for whatever reason. It is an ongoing criticism of colorblindness that people are somehow lying to themselves about not being able to see color, which is not what it means. That's not what it means. Nobody says that they're colorblind, meaning that they literally can't see color. That's ridiculous. It's absurd. Nobody means that. It is quite clearly a metaphor, like Coleman Hughes pointed out a couple of weeks ago. It's the same as saying someone is warm-hearted or cold-hearted. You don't mean that literally. The literal interpretation of that is not the point. It would be ridiculous to argue with somebody and say, why would you say that they're cold-hearted? Their heart isn't actually cold. What's wrong with you? Now you're banned from social media for disinformation. (laughs) No, it's ridiculous. When someone says that they're colorblind, They mean that they don't treat skin color as consequential to a person's identity, period. And that's it. They don't consider race to be central to who they are or to who you are as an individual. That's what being colorblind means. That's what Dr. King was talking about. Judging people by the content of their character instead of the color of their skin. The second thing that needs to be addressed is the claim that if we do this, if, if we de-emphasize race and treat it as no more consequential to who we are than our hair color and eye color, that we will somehow drive oppression and promote white supremacy. That's madness. It just, it just makes it seem like they're flailing about and doing everything they can to cling to racial grievance. Suggesting that if we eliminate race as something important and consequential that this will somehow increase racism, (laughs) it it seems like panic because that would destroy everything. It would destroy the grift. The hustle would be dismantled. They would not be able to profit uh, financially or, or socially or psychically from claims of racial grievance. The only option is to denigrate any suggestion that we move into a post-racial society and frantically try to convince everyone that this would be a horrible, horrible thing. 
It reminds me of that video where the guy's about to do a bungee jump and he does everything he can to get out of it because he's terrified, right? Hey, let's, let's, let me tell you something. 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 Wait, 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 wait. 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 Wait, wait, Hey, you know what would solve racism? Colorblindness and moving into a post-racial society. No! Let me tell you something! Let me tell you something! <laughs> oh, man. The, the business of racial grievance is immense. There are a lot of people who have a lot of incentives to keep it going. Booker T. Washington saw these people for who they are over 100 years ago. He called them out, saying that... They figured out that they could profit off of grievance and have an easy way of obtaining money and status. And he said that these people do not want the patient to get well. They do not want a cure. They want the disease to persist, even if it has to be fabricated and contrived. They don't want solutions. They want the controversy, the sympathy, the eyes, the clicks, the attention. So it makes sense why they would be opposed to colorblindness, because in a colorblind world, in a post-racial world, they lose all of that. But let me tell you something. And I think most of the people listening to this agree with me already. But if we're going to move into a post-racial society where race does not have an impact on people's lives, then the only solution is, in, is to move into a society where race is not central to identity in people's lives. If we want less racism, we need to care less about race. That just seems logical to me. The idea that this will somehow make racism invisible is absurd. In a colorblind society, we, we will still recognize when people are treated unfairly. Would you not recognize if someone was discriminated against for being blonde? Of course you would. And, and hopefully you would speak out against it. But being blonde is not central to identity, and we don't make value judgments about people simply because they have blonde hair. But just because we don't do that, because we don't center hair color in our identity, doesn't mean that we can't recognize when people are treated unfairly based on their hair color. That we would somehow be blind to that. It's nonsense. If we truly want to progress as a society, in the true sense of the word progressive, then we must embrace individuality and reject collectivism, particularly ideas like collective guilt and collective victimhood. I talk about colorblindness at length in my book. It is, in fact, the underlying essence of the entire book, a quest toward colorblindness that could have been an alternative title. It is my passion, and I'm wholly devoted to at least initiating a paradigm shift in our country where we begin to move toward a post-racial society. And as I say in my book, achieving colorblindness will not be done overnight, and perhaps it, it won't even be achieved in my generation. But the age-old Greek proverb teaches us that a society grows great when old men plant trees under whose shade they know they may never sit. I want to help plant those trees, and I hope you'll plant them with me. Thanks for listening. I'm Leonidas, and this has been Informed Dissent.
If you would like to support the show, you could do so through donorbox.org slash Leonidas. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot org slash Leonidas. I really appreciate that. Make sure you follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson and check out my website at leonidasjohnson.com. And I have a Substack now, which is just leonidas.substack.com. And as always, remember to do your own research, challenge everything, and don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. We'll see you next time. God bless.